This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And we've got along with us, well, it's the sort of topic of the day, isn't it? We've got Alwyn Paul, who's, I think, the most experienced educator I know and who has great interest in measurement and the performance of New Zealand schooling. Uh, good morning, Alwyn. Morning, Rodney. Uh, tell us how, in a sentence, how are we doing in New Zealand schools? Uh, well, uh, could do better. Isn't that how you could write do, reports? Could do better. <laughs> yeah, except in this case, it could do a heck of a lot better and really should be. How are we doing? Do we know how we're doing compared to some years ago? And do we know how we're doing compared to other countries? Yeah, the, the some years ago, um, it, it's been something, uh, in, in a sense, a theory or an explanation I've been trying to, to formulate because, you know, we can look back and, and people will say, well, New Zealand education used to be world class um, and world leading and um, all of this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, there's evidence that to some extent that's true. Um you also have to have to look at the situations around that. So, for instance, after World War II, uh, you know, I, I think the RSA for, for my sons, uh, my first degree was economics. And you, you look at that time where New Zealand kind of streaked ahead in terms of gross domestic product and uh, particularly exporting because we have very free access to Britain. Um, but you, you had production uh, throughout Europe uh, particularly, you know, really ended um, because of uh, a lack of resourcing and, and, and destroyed resourcing through World War II. And, and so New Zealand, you know, not being affected in anything like the same way, had this tremendous opportunity. I see. Yeah, and, and we, we grew because of that. Um, but... One of the other things I, I think back, let's say that even the 1970s and 80s, is that we had a much stronger um, agreement between families and schools as to what a good education looked like. Yes. And um, I think that since that time, uh, if you like, the gap between uh, what a family would hope is happening for their children uh, and a family's ability to influence what is happening with their children, uh, the gaps grow. And um, in some pretty obvious areas, when you kind of stand outside of it and have a bit of a look. So, for instance, I think the professionalization of ECE has kind of meant that parents feel like uh, if, if I want anything that feels like education for my preschooler, that's something that happens at ECE mm. with this trained trained preschool teacher. Mm. Whereas I don't I don't think that was something that we particularly thought about thirty years ago. So the idea is that nowadays we leave schooling up to the teachers in the schools. Yes. Whereas 30, 40 years ago, mum would be home with the kid till they're five. 
And I can remember my mother and me floundering around on the kitchen floor as there would be those educational shows for preschoolers on the radio. Right. Yeah, yeah. And she would be taking part mm-hmm. in it. And then likewise, when I was at primary school, my mother would be drilling us and doing the sing song for the times table. Uh-huh. And she took a very active role in making sure we got the basics. Yeah. Well, parents are by far and away the most important people in the education of the children. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that we have done um, very significantly as a society, we've associated being a good parent, being a good uh, first teacher um, with wealth. And, you know, for a lot of people who grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to point out, Rodney, that you're fractionally older than I am. Um, <laughs> but but by, for, a, for, by a smidgen. <laughs> for a lot of people who grew up, uh, let's say, back in the day, because it just flows off the tongue, um, I, I, I can't even remember having many books in my home. No. And, and at times I've really struggled to think, how come I did okay at school? Because my mum left school with no qualification. Yeah. My yeah. dad couldn't even really recall school. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that to them I was, they thought I was from another planet. Um, and But the only thing I could really think of is that my mother talked incessantly. And um, so the amount of language and words yes. that I got uh, was was sort of a big part of it. And, you know, we now know that that's crucial. Um, for her, it was just, you know, a pretty annoying habit. Um, and same, you know, I, libraries and schools, they're under threat now. And I, I didn't really know this. This is, this is pretty new information for me. Um, but I was talking to a lady here in Cambridge who is in charge of the library at Cambridge High School. And we were talking about education. And she said, well, well do you know that, you know, libraries in New Zealand schools are under threat? And I went, no, that's news to me. What do you mean? And she said, well, we're talking societally about this uh, literacy and numeracy issue. But libraries and schools are funded out of operational funds. And therefore, it's a tug of war. Uh, between library or, or using it as a classroom. And as you said, in a good number of schools now, the libraries no longer exist. And in fact, at Cambridge High School, she's been uh, really excellent in bringing the library up to date and, and getting it functioning. Oh, my goodness. And, and um, yeah, to me, I was like, wow. And so she's written a, a, a policy piece that I'm about to submit. Um, to say that, you know, we really need to make sure that that's preeminent. And that's where I got my books from, school libraries. So they're saying, well, everyone's got to have a laptop to come to school. They can get their books on the laptop. They can get 101 books on their laptop and walk around with them. They're not coming to the library. Therefore, we don't need a library. Yes. Or our school's growing in the ministry. I mean, I don't know if you you, you saw, but... um, so one of the strangest things. Uh, so um, I, I drove down to uh, Napier a couple of weeks ago, sort of, you know, for my for my real job, and um, was visiting a school down there, a very good school called, um, uh, goodness, uh, so good, the Māori Girls' Schools. It, um, but, but I drove through 
I must get that one right, otherwise you can be St. Joseph's Mighty Girls College, which is a very good school. But as I was driving into Napier, I was in that kind of dream phase, you know, where you don't know where you've driven. And I saw a sign that said Eskdale. And I thought, now that rings a bell. What? Eskdale? What's going on? And then I thought, oh, the floods, of course. And then I suddenly look out beside the road and it's still, you know, what are we, six, seven, eight weeks down the track? It's still unbelievable. Um, silt to the top of vineyards. Um, Houses just absolutely destroyed. Cars sitting where they clearly weren't driven. Um, And, I mean, there was one house where I sort of said to someone, that's quite a new house. And she said, yeah, and it used to be a kilometre from here. Um, And so this house had been lifted up and swept. And New Zealand has all moved on and forgotten about it. Well, we have to some extent, but they certainly haven't. And I saw an article a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, where Eastdale Primary, which was significantly affected, you know, and all their families, et cetera, um, but they had already underway. So this wasn't doesn't look like it was damaged by the floods, but they had already underway a building program, I think a $20 million building program. And it's about $4 million in progress has been made. And the ministry have suddenly said, no, that's enough. Uh, we're not going to fund it anymore. And, and the principal's like, pun, what? Um, and so, you know, you've got this real backwards and forwards pulling on, on resources. So some schools are saying, well, okay, we need another classroom and we don't have one, so we need to use the library. And so, therefore, the library, you know. Nice. And, and that's so, – so going back to the point about, um, you know, parenting, as I say – uh, you know, we have a lot of people growing up who don't have enough resources in the home. In the past, and I did, well, Karen and I did this with our kids because, uh, um, you know, we didn't have anything when we started. We were single income. I was teaching at Tarong Boys. Our oldest, his first uh, bedroom was our wardrobe mm. in our one-bedroom flat. And, and so our kids, we went to the library all the time. And then we slowly built up a stock of books, um, but we certainly didn't start with shelves full. Uh, and and so I, I think we've equated uh, parenting with wealth, good parenting with wealth, and we need to break that as well. You don't have to have a lot of money to be a good parent. No, um, uh, you have to spend time. You have to care. You have to speak words. You have to speak positively. You have to access the resources that are freely available, like libraries and parks and beaches and all that kind of thing. That's what makes a good parent. And oftentimes, two parents working yes, to provide what they think the kid needs, and the kids actually miss out because yeah. the, kid, and, the parents are tired. Yeah, there are there are some situations. So I was a very good friend of mine a couple of years ago, uh, who very good international rugby player, Samoan. Uh, he also has a law degree. His sister's a very good lawyer. And I said, you know, looking at some of these stats, when I when I sort of grew up in Wanganui, the the Pacific Island families were known to be very very uh, interested advocates for education for their children. I said it's just it just seems to have changed and statistically it's changed quite significantly. And and it is edging back up, which is interesting. Um I said, what what's how did you guys get in such a good space and, and what's changed? And he said, Well, his his 
Mum is a lawyer. His dad's a doctor. And they were doing six months on, six months off. Now, they could afford to because a single income for either of them was was enough. Yeah. Um, There are a lot of families now where, uh, you know, you would call them the working poor. They do exist. Uh, There's a significant number of them. And uh, they are having to work long hours and and two or three jobs. Um, And it's possibly a role. So I I went to an amazing uh, school in New York called um, Harlem uh, Children's Zone. And so there's a school in it, um, but they also have a program that goes from seven in the morning to seven at night. Uh, So for the parents that have to work those big hours, the school steps up and and make sure those children are, are looked after because they don't want them out on the street. And, and we, we don't we don't have any real we, we have some people who do a very good job in those sort of situations and do offer after school, but we don't have any pattern of that. Yeah. Um so to to answer the question, how are we doing compared yep. to past times, you're saying it's a different world. I'm saying we've deliberately created a different world. And if 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 you have to beat back all the bushes and say, who's responsible for the current state of the New Zealand education system? And that's things like uh, only 38% of Māori fully attending, uh, a little over 50% of all students fully attending, and that declines as they go through secondary school. Say those numbers again. About 38% of Māori fully attending. So that means 62%. Are not, yeah. And what would that entail? What would not fully attending entail? So it's uh, full attendance is regarded as nine days out of ten. Yeah. Now, if I was employing someone and they only turned out nine days out of ten, so let's say they took a sickie every second Friday, uh, you know, long weekend every second week, uh, then then I'd have a pretty significant issue with them. Um, so 62% yes. of Maori students at yeah. primary and high school in the compulsory sector, presumably, yes. are missing at least a day a fortnight. Yeah, and quite a few. It's it's it's, it's significantly more than that. And um, we, we have a pattern that we need to change. So it used to be called the decile system. And the lower decile you were, um, the more supposed uh, socioeconomic hardship. Now it's the equity index system. And the higher your school's equity index number, um, the more hardship your students or the more at risk your students are supposed to be. Um, but but I'm, again, you know, trying to step back and say, who's, who is responsible for this? We live in a free democracy where parents, adults, over 18s, uh, taxpayers elect a government. Now, yep, those people are elected to do a job. So, so I, you know, I think Christopher Hipkins has been New Zealand's worst ever uh, Minister of Education. Uh, give Jan Taniti some time and she may well surpass him in terms of those achievements. She's well on the way. Yes. But um, I actually think the responsibility for education system has to come back to parents. Mm. Because if you went, okay, 
whose children are they? Mm. Well, parents' children. So uh, how has this happened? Well, parents have been uh, too passive when when uh, people with vested interests have tried to push them aside. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a bit of our nation, isn't it? We, yes. We, we, we trust people. We um, have high regard for authority. Uh, that's traditional Maori society. It's traditional Pacific Island society. But it's also it's pretty strongly rooted in, in, in our Asian and in our European society. Um, you know, it's not often we go to our own doctor and they say something. And we go, oh, I'm going to go and get a second opinion. Um, you know, we accept what they say. And ultimately, uh, our parents and our parenting has been too passive, and we've allowed the system to degrade. Mm. Well, um, I would say, because I have interacted with the primary school system on three uh-huh. occasions, once when I went through, twice when my second time was when my 34-year-old son went through, and now with my, I hope he wasn't 34 when he was going through that system. No, he, okay. no. And second time now with my second family going through primary school. So that's, if you like, my three lots of interaction. And what I'm finding at the moment is the teachers don't want us parents involved. Agreed. We get endless emails and what's coming up this week and this term. None of it explains anything. It's like we're doing a project on this and we're doing a project on that. We don't assist in any way um, with the kids. Like workbooks don't come home, like learn these words do these times table. What comes home are projects. And you can see a lot of the projects have been done by dad or mum. So projects come home and you're sort of sitting there and thinking, I'd rather they were learning uh, to spelling lists and times table than doing building a model of a volcano with flashing lights. <laughs> um, when they bring home, when you say to them, Explain to me how you do the sum. Yes. They set about doing it in the most complicated way I could imagine doing it. And when I say, look, this is how we learn, oh, no, it's not the way the teacher says we should do it. You say, okay. So you sort of feel excluded. Then the marification to coin, recoin John Ansel's great line of what they're doing is almost mind-exploding and anger-inducing because you're thinking, no, no, that's, it, it can't all be about Maori, but it seems to be. And so you don't know even – and then the other thing is the kids seem to be confused by the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't Sorry. seem to have – like a concept even of this is right and that's not. I think it's that concept that Elizabeth Rader explained on our show 
of you know the sort of child is the center of learning and uh-huh. the teacher's a facilitator. There's not someone sitting and saying, This is what you'll learn. Yeah. Is that fair comment? I, I think a lot of it is. So so I would still hold that we've allowed that to happen. Of course we have allowed that to happen. Yeah. I and, agree with and, that. Yeah, but and I would, I would say around the world we are seeing uh so you know, there's always silver lining, you know, and and I, I think one of the silver linings out of COVID is that parents around the world to a significant degree have woken up to what's being taught in schools. Yes. And and that's that's what's been academically taught, but it's also the ideologies. Um I, I, I've always been you know angry really about the amount of negativity that's imposed upon children. Yes. Because, because when I was growing up, I, we, we got a heck of a lot of that. Now, and I've probably said it to you before, but I'll never forget a lady called Mrs. Smith telling us in Standard One that the Russians were coming yes, and yes. that communism would do, dominate the world. It might not happen in her. I, mean, I thought she was 150. So she was saying it might not happen in her age. I thought, thank goodness for that. But it will in your generation. And and we still do that. We impose so many things upon adult, kids. Adult concerns. On yes. Kids. Instead yeah, of letting we had children. We had climbing under the desk in case there's a nuclear fallout. Yes. Well, we were at school in Whanganui in a, in a six-story building at, at what was Whanganui Boys College. And I never saw it coming, but one of my classmates did and suddenly dived under the desk. And I thought, what the heck's he doing? And a skyhawk from... Um, Oh, uh, uh, was coming, coming across. The, he thought again. He thought it was the Russians, so <laughs> he, he, he went under the desk. Um, and and so you know, if you take the current situation, there's a really powerful movement around the world. Two or three things. One is parents becoming involved in their child's schooling and what's being taught, and and, and you could kind of categorize it as a let kids be kids movement. Um, in New Zealand, we, we've got a couple of critical things that are taking place now. It's 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 become common knowledge very well uh, led by Michael Johnson of the New Zealand Initiative um, to get out into the community the science draft curriculum yes. under the um, curriculum refresh, and and it's 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 a disaster. And probably the worst thing that parents could do at the moment is go, oh, well, you know, we've shown them that it's a disaster and these people have spoken up and now they'll 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 bury it and they'll do science properly. No, they won't. Uh they're on a they're, they're on a mission. Yeah, and they'll try and wait you out. So for mm-hmm. instance, you had for math teaching, you had the Royal Commission uh do a really good report saying that this is what we should do. And when it first came out, the ministry, you know, said we agree with it. And Chris Hipkins said we agree with it. And then they just kind of slid it off the table, you know, while still holding eye contact. Um and, and very, very little has been done. So this science curriculum, uh which you know, basically they're trying to say, well, New Zealand will lead the world and um teaching science through uh, a number of contexts, and you'll be able to learn the basics of science that way. Well, I, I was swimming this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm getting fit again, Rodney, thanks to your inspiration. And um, uh, I was swimming this morning, and, and I thought, you know, swimming is more an art than an effort if you're going to become good. Anyone could jump in the pool and thrash around. Um, and in fact, if you're new to swimming and you, and you do thrash around, you go nowhere very quickly. 
Mm. Um, because to swim well, you've got two things. One is propulsion, um, but the other is effectively being um, as little object as possible to the forces of the water. You know, you, so you need to really slide through the water. Um, and I was thinking, you know, learning anything is the same. You can thrash around with science, but unless you've actually understood the basic building blocks, which includes where it came from, modern science, uh, through to, you know, the establishment of things like um, the periodic table of elements um, and, and the understanding that science is always theoretical. Mm. Um, th- there's mm. not a fact. And I, I put that up some of the other day and someone said, well, come on, I think you're going too far there because um, water will always be two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. Uh, but the answer to that is, you know, physicists at the moment are still debating whether an atom contains any matter at all mm. or whether it's just energy. Mm. And, 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 you know, there's no conclusion. No. And, and, and so, but that's, that's what science is. And yet these people would, would hold that there are a number of facts that we need what? to deal with. Over the years, yeah. You have been forthright. Mm-hmm. You have been a thorn in the side of the ministry. You have battled them over your schools and what your kids have needed. And you have eyeballed these bureaucrats who have put barriers in the way of your kids achieving. Yep. What do you make of them? Who are these people? Are they lizards in disguise? Or because yeah. um, like you'd think someone that hasn't been exposed to it, you imagine that the people in the ministry want exactly what you and I want, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Um All Blacks had a good one on the weekend. And uh, a friend of mine is is one of the assistant coaches, Joe Smith, uh, smart guy. And I've never met Ian Foster. I'm told he's he's a pretty smart fella. Uh, they, as well as Scott McLeod and and the Fords coach, who I remember soon, uh, they've had a long history in the sport. Um, and they they select players who play rugby. Uh, there aren't too many. Uh, people selected the All Blacks straight out of gymnastics or tennis. Uh, so what you've got, and, and, and this is, I think, incredibly bizarre, um, and as I say, parents' responsibility to change it, but, boy, you've got to get in there and you've got to be really ready to dust up. Uh, you've got eight or nine people, and if you go onto the ministry website and you go, you know, who who are our leaders? You've got eight or nine people with almost no background in teaching whatsoever um quite a yeah. few of them have, have come to new zealand from uh you know britain particularly um you have iona holstead who earns five hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year uh for a system that is an abject failure that's um, an eye-watering amount of money oh it's, it's, it, it, you can fund a school on it i've done it um um and, she's the chief executive is she Yes, so she's the Secretary for Education. And if you go on there, it's just, you go on that site and it's like reading 
I love Douglas Adams, but he's a positive, humorous writer. This is like reading black humor. Um, so you go on the site, and Iona Holstead says, well, I qualified as a teacher, and I taught for a year, but uh, you know, then I went back into student politics. And from then on, she's been a, in the public service. What? what? Her skill, her skill in all of this is managing public servants. Like well, they don't have a can we use can we use the word skill in an advised way? Because yeah, they probably well, what are they good at? Well, I, I have a couple of people who uh, and I clearly won't even hint at who they are, but they're they're in reasonable levels of the ministry and they said it's just it's just a factory of fear. Uh, you know, no one's prepared to put themselves out. No one's prepared to challenge the leadership uh, because if you do put something up that you think might be positive and effective, you get shot down pretty darn quickly. Um, it, things used to be in triplicate. You know, it, I, I put in an application for a school, and on one particular question, when we finally got the documents back, it had gone through 41 people, uh, 39 of which I had never met to discuss this issue. And they're all covering each other's butt. And, and you know, as is, again, I, I think it's common knowledge, but sometimes when you work in a particular sphere, what's common knowledge to you isn't publicly common knowledge. But the amount of people employed in the Ministry of Education in the last six years has gone from 2,700 to 4,200. So if I go back to the typical New Zealand rugby analogy, it's like the All Blacks have now got 52 people on the field and they're still losing. Yes. Uh, um, how how do you justify this? How do you justify the incredible spend? How do how do you justify the results in terms of school attendance? How do you justify having a ministry? Oh, I, I, a lot of schools are now working out that the best way to effectively provide for their children is to sidestep the ministry mm-hmm. and, and and just apologise later. Yes. You know, do but it must be hard working there too, because you can imagine that you misgender someone, or you make an incorrect Maori pronunciation, or upset some Maori god or protocol, and that could be career limiting, right? Oh. We, because it is so tenuous and like ever changing what your position has to be. On these things. So you can imagine it being a culture of fear because it certainly isn't a culture of achievement. No, no, no. It's a culture of abject failure. Um, and then and, and would, publicly known abject failure. Yes. I mean, so you're going to work every day into a situation where you're certainly not appreciated by the teaching sector. No. You haven't you haven't been able to negotiate over a year with the PPTA to settle a pay claim. Um, you're seeing rolling strikes and stoppages. You're seeing very poor attendance. Uh, it's well known that New Zealand is declining against the international um, uh, achievements in pizza and uh, Tim's. So you've got all of these things going on. It must feel like a siege mentality. Um, and they must be... Very ideological. 
Yeah, well, like there, there's an ideological <laughs> agenda. Yeah, underpinning you must you it. must be something to be prepared to accept five hundred seventy thousand dollars a year for, for for failing. You know, you must feel that I don't know. Well, uh, do they think they do they think they're failing? They might be think they're winning because they're winning in the sense that a political agenda has overwhelmed our skills. And close, these little to over, kids. Close, close, close to overwhelming, you know what I mean? Uh, if you, throughout history, you know, people tend to wake up at the right time. Sometimes there's been great costs before they do. Yeah. And and, and so you, you take at the moment, um, and I haven't read the year 9 to 13 document yet because the year 1 to 8 document has taken enough energy and alarm. But the, uh, it's called Relationship and Sexuality Education. Oh, don't get me started, please. <laughs> But, but do, see, do see, explain, see, Rodney, what see, that's, that, what that's, the, that's the New Zealand parent. No, I will tell you exactly. Phrase. I will tell you exactly. I am all over this. Yeah. I am so angry. I didn't want to raise it with you. Yeah. Because I can't stop at the enormity of it mm-hmm. and of the utter evil of it. Yes. And of the fact that they're grooming my girls mm-hmm. when they're 10. Well, you, you, you'd, I would look at this. You, you asked As about sexual abuse. What, 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 what sort of people here. I would say in this case, they're taking the place of bad actors. Yes. Um, be, because th- th- there is no justification for this. It's appalling. It's abhorrent. And, and you know, I mean, even the, the methodology. So in, in the past... If you're going to have sex education at school, and, and I've always taken the position that that's the parents' role. Yes, that, that, that's the values of the home, well and truly supersede the values of the school in that situation. And, and so, as uh, you know, a kind of um, acknowledgement of that, it was always the case that if a school was going to run a sexuality program of any kind, sex ed program of any kind, they had to consult with the parents. Mm-hmm. And they had to fully inform the parents. And the parents had every right to say, well, my little Rodney, he's 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 not going to be in that, that class. Now, not enough parents took that option. So going back to the parents, parents had to be more proactive. They've allowed this to happen to some degree. Um, but this, how cunning it is, First of all, the document was kind of just slid slowly out into public in 2020. So it's only really got airtime this year. Um, and that's because boards of trustees uh, are now required to implement the program. Um, the second part of the program that is quite cunning. So forgetting the content, the cunning part of this program is that instead of it being a relationship and sexuality uh, class that you can opt out of, the board is required to implement this curriculum into every learning area. Yes. So into English, into science, into technology, into mathematics. And, and so what are you going to say? Little Rodney, you can't go to any of these classes when they're talking about it. Um, no, you could be doing maths. Yes. And they say, little Johnny has three fathers <laughs> and Frida has four mothers. How many parents are there? And call it maths, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I identify as a tractor. Um, yeah, um, um, yeah. And and again, it's it's away from that let kids be kids thing. 
They don't, they don't need this. And the, the one that I particularly picked out, it's because around the world, scientists, medical people are still saying, we don't know really what the physiological and psychological effects of using puberty blockers are. No. And, and, and a lot of people common sense suggests you not good. Well, no. And, um, and, um, and, and so, but that's, that's supposed to be talked about in the science curriculum. And it doesn't say whether that's year eight, seven, six, Give us five, that five. lady's name again that's running this ministry. Uh, Iona Holstead. And she's English? No, she isn't, I don't think. Okay. Uh, but I, I she's on $500,000. $570,000. I mean. $600,000. <laughs> and she's sitting there putting out to our schools for our yes. kids and grandkids to teach them at 10 all about sex and teaching them that a boy could choose to be a girl. Well, in a, in a whole range of stuff. So, I mean, if this is if this is an angle in for parents to go, you know what, I, I'm really uncomfortable with this, then take it. But then broaden your perspective and have a look at everything that's happening in school. Um, and, and some of those things are really simple. I, I didn't often, my kids went to a school that functioned really well as a primary school called Cornwall Park District School. Um, they, I, I very rarely, I mean, I went along, you know, went along to teachers things and, and, um, sports stuff. And, um, but one day one of my children came home and he said, Oh, they've told me I'm not allowed to take this book to school. I said, what do you mean? They said, oh, they said that the book's too advanced and uh, I might be able to read the words, but I'm not actually understanding it. And I went, okay, uh, what do you want me to do? Do you want to do something about this? And he said, could you come and talk to them, please? It's the only time I can actively remember at a primary school level. I had a couple of clashes with Auckland Grammar, um, but at a primary school level, going into the school and saying, hey, look, and the lady was Cheryl. She was lovely. She was the head of the um, three classrooms. She's a principal now, does a very good job. Um, but I said, look, hey, um, Michael's been told that he, he's not allowed to read this book, but I know that he understands. Could you spend five minutes with him? And she came out five minutes and said, well, Michael can bring any book to school he wants. <laughs> um, and, and, that, and that's cool. But there will be little things like that. Well, you get well, your I'll give you my example. What would you do yep. if you were in my situation? Mm-hmm. Last year, my daughter, then aged 11, um, goes off to have her, what do you call it, health and what is it called? You said that phrase. Oh, relationship and sexuality education. Yes, <laughs> RSE, right? Yes. And they said, if you want to have the curriculum, um, we will send it to you if you ask. I said, I'd love to see it. And I scanned it, and I thought, oh, this looks reasonable. What I didn't pick up on, because it's a slipping past you, was there was a little bracket, in brackets, was gender identity. Right. Right? And so the session was about gender identity, which is gender ideology. And so Liberty came home, um, giggling her head off, because she and I had watched Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Right. And she said, you know, they think a rooster can be a hen. 
And um, I said, had the kids react? And she said, oh, they're fall, falling around the floor laughing at the teacher trying to explain that girls can be boys, right? So I thought, oh, okay, she's mature. She can handle it. She came home subsequently and said, Dad, you better sit down. Now, when a girl tells you this, you go a bit queasy, right? So I sat down. And she said, we had all these trans and lesbos turn up. She's oh, 11. Wow. wow. For two hours. Compulsory. Get away. Oh, it's happened in lots of schools. I said, really? And I said, what was it like? She says, a bit boring, but they talked about being trans and being a lesbo. This is her words, right? <laughs> So I dropped the very polite note to her teacher and I said, excuse me, um, Liberty came home saying that they'd had these trans and lesbos in. Is that right? Oh, yes. We had inside out visit the school. Right. Now, Tell me something, Curtin Rodney. No, no, you're fine. But, you know yeah. inside out, right? No, I don't really. No. Well, they're a New Zealand-wide organisation funded by uh, the government who advise on Chanel Lowell's involved, and they advise government on how to teach kids to be aware that they, they have a gender soul uh -huh. and that they might be a boy, but their gender soul means they're a girl. Uh -huh. And so they turned up, and they're teenagers who are literally trans and lesbian. And mm. they talked to my 11-year-old girl in her class for either an hour and a half or two hours, I haven't quite worked out how long, about the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So Now, I, I, mean, I felt like going down to that school and actually letting rip because I personally felt, funnily enough with Liberty, she's a mature girl, if it was my next daughter, she's very young, very naive, very innocent, very beautiful. She's a girl. Uh -huh. Liberty reads a lot, and so she knows about the stuff, and she can handle it, not Grace. If they did that to Grace, I don't know. As a father, I would feel that the skill had robbed my girl of her innocence, yeah. filled her head with nonsense, and told her lies. So now you say a, I've let yeah. this happen, yeah. But what can I do? Because uh, well, I, 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 I wouldn't I, stop. Yeah, I, I would first of all. Uh, so, so one of the things that that again has been a part of our education system, and and why we've been so passive, is that let's say in the past seventy to seventy five percent of our kids did okay. Yeah. Then, then why would you kick up a stick? A and one of the, I think one of the key figures, and in a moment, this is, this is taking it a little bit away from the, the topic you're on, but I'll come back to it. But one of the key figures in New Zealand uh, education in the last six months has been Cameron Bagri. And yes, yes. That, that sounds strange because he's an econ economist. And um, I was reading, as I said, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy last night, and 
you know, they were talking about this mythical uh, planet of Magrathia that people were used to use as an inspiration to their children to grow up economists. Um, but Cameron has, has you know, come out and, and very uh, eloquently said that if we if we want to see New Zealand society in 20 years' time, we look at our education system now. And, and he's talking about productivity, but he's also talking about relationally, about the level of division and things like that. Um, and, and so in one sense, I, I think for the parents whose kids are doing okay, they need to take a more more altruistic view. So let's say we, we broke society down to the liberties and the graces. Now, that's not saying Grace isn't doing well academically, but you say she's more vulnerable. Then we actually have to think of all of our kids as graces. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree because, with that. Because if, because if we do, and we're all taking a stand, I've never taken a public stand on sexuality. Now, there's a, a very good reason for that. And that is because in running schools, you have to teach without fear or favour. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, if a if a child's from a home with 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 two mums, uh, cool, love the kid, work with the mums, um, and, and 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 very welcoming. To me, that's that's a different situation than pushing down. All ranges and all manners of ideology. The mums are adults on young children, correct? And pushing that down on young children um, is a tough gig, and and a little bit the same with this um, situation around um, gender pronouns. Um, I've always called kids by their first names, mm. um, and and to me, and if someone comes on, I care what they, you know, I mean. A lot of kids like to be called by their nicknames. Mm. Good as gold, you know that that's cool. Um, and 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 go with that. But again, what's happening is that adults who want this to be really adamant stuff are pushing it back down. Um, well, that goes back to our woman on five hundred and seventy nine thousand a year. Yeah, I might have boosted it by nine thousand. Oh, she probably got a bonus. Did you, did you know? I, I couldn't believe this. I, I, there was it. What's it called? Waka Kotahi. I mean, that sounds like that's a trans, ministry of transport. That sounds like another high-performing ministry in New Zealand, doesn't it? All the potholes and yeah, yeah, uh, all that stuff. A lot of their execs got bonuses last year. <laughs> they probably wrote some very good reports about fixing potholes. <laughs> And the other thing that's amazing, I, I didn't know this, um, and this is just the sort of stuff that goes on. I, I sat down once and I read, only a year or so back, the contracts if you work for the Ministry of Education. So if you work as a teacher, and, and you're a good teacher, and let's say, I don't know, let's say 63.7% of our teachers are conscientious and good and stuff like that, and, and the other 66.7%, that math was quite good then. Oh, no, 36.7%, it wasn't that good. Um, they should go and do something else. They should go kiwi fruit picking or, or whatever. But for the conscientious ones, you don't count your hours. Um, you do what you've got to do. If if you get a phone call on Saturday because the family's had an emergency, you don't go, oh, flip, you know, stuff them. Well, that's just, just do what you've got to do, right? Well, not in the ministry. You work your 40 hours, then everything else on top of that is time and a half or double time. No. 
be a sucker to save. And if you pick up the phone at, at, at night or whatever to take a call and it only lasts five minutes, you get paid for an hour. Um, and you've got all of this sort of stuff that the oh. ministry have that teachers don't. And you're just like, what the heck? How have they got that through? And, and yet, you know, they, they can't negotiate any extra bean for teachers. Um, so it's, they it's know, a bizarre situation. They know how to look after themselves. Mm-hmm. Their worries are all about them because get my pronoun right. And um, they are supremacists too. Because oh, absolutely. they look down on the rest of us. They look down on every teacher. Um, I feel the school system looks down now on parents. Yeah. And parents get fed a lot of emails without content. Yeah. It's impossible to find out how your child's going. Yeah. It's impossible to find out what they're actually being taught. And it's quite interesting to ask kids, you know, what's nine times seven? Yeah. Well, you've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 2, haven't you? And nine yes. times nine times nine times seven is sixty-three, not forty-two, Rodney. Yes. Um, um, but that that is hypothesized at one point. I I the schools that are succeeding are schools that engage the parents effectively. By and large, and so across New Zealand, uh, you know, it's well known that a lot of our private schools do extremely well, um, and people go, oh, "That's because they're wealthy." Well, no, when kids who are from struggling socioeconomic circumstances go into those schools, they do a lot better. So there must be something else to learn from that. And then you've got the likes of Manukura uh, in Palmerston North, where you've got uh, Yvette and Nathan Jury and their team. Who, who are just laser focused on, on achievement for their kids and setting up an environment where those kids can achieve and they're highly successful. Um, then you have, and again, not all of them are perfect, but then you've got the Catholic integrated schools that are, you know, very strongly, uh, achieving. And I, I think particularly, uh, of an improved school like St. Peter's in Ponsonby, which is mainly Pacifica kids. And in three years, a man called Kieran Fowey took them from 50% EOE for leavers to 84%. Wow. Did he get a bonus? Oh, yeah. yeah, I I think they gave him an extra wafer each Sunday. And, (laughs) and, um, um, and, and, and when we quizzed him at a, at a um, summit I put on, one of his key things was enroll the family. Um, Mm. and, 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 and that's a really big deal. And, and the same, you get the likes of Westlake Girls, Napier Girls, um, these sort of schools in the state system that are standout. You know, they're quite family-oriented. Um, and there's, there's no era of superiority involved in them. At the beginning of last year, so this parent thing is really important. And and for a long time, I've looked, I'd looked at around New Zealand, and you know this from your role as Associate Minister of Education, that... that in all of these out-of-the-way places, there isn't a lot of good schooling. And, and we have people who sit in Wellington or Auckland or Christchurch and go, well, you know, kids have got choices um, where they go. If you're in Tikawiri mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 you know, 
the other small towns around the night, there's not much choice at all. Mm. And often that choice involves a lot of travel. Or if you're anxious, and we have a huge anxiety problem in New Zealand with kids, um, if you don't fit into a school, then the school doesn't do a heck of a lot to make you feel welcome. No. Um, and, and to deal with you. So we set up a, and it's not, um, it's, I don't, I set it up and, and then let it run with people much better than me. And so we set up something at the beginning of last year called Mount Hobson Academy Connected, which is an online uh, school. Why can you do it online now? Well, a lot of schools wouldn't like you to know this, but virtual classrooms are amazing. And they've come a long, long way from, from you and I meeting on Zoom here, which is really good for one-on-one. But these are a teacher with 15 kids. They're in the classroom. Someone in Kaitai is learning with someone in Invercargill. So you've got these advantages. The kid that won't shut up like I wouldn't have, you know, back in the they day. Put on mute. You just mute them, you know. <laughs> and, and I could be seen banging on in the background. Uh, <laughs> That's you've very got, funny. You've got these expert teachers and we employed fabulous teachers um, and, and they've engaged and enrolled the family. But there's a second level um, that we did. I think that's really smart um, because there's a big movement now for parents to do some homeschooling. And in New Zealand, that is catching on and it's growing a lot. But in some cases, like in Seattle or in Washington State, something like 30% of families didn't return to state schooling after COVID. Whoa. Uh, um, and Stanford did a report on 20 counties through um, uh, Tribeca, that, that sort of area, yes. and found that something like 20% of families had taken on education for themselves. Because they had seen what was going on. And they just thought they could do it better. And, yes. and they're right. Yes. Um, and so some of it will be the ideological stuff, but some of it will simply be quality of education, but and also one quality. On one. Yeah, and quality of family time. Yeah. You know, why am I sending my kids to this flipping six hours a day? Yeah. I mean, you know, and so we set up a system there for as a second tier where parents can go, I want to homeschool, but I don't want to go through all this ministry of education nonsense and or I don't really know what I'm doing. So they can enroll in our in, in their teacher-led program. And so they get all of the resources and all of the advice from the school and they're enrolled in the school, but they can organise the day as they see fit. So they have kids who who are athletes or horse riders or swimmers, and and so they instead of them having to turn up to that particular class. How do listeners find that? Oh, Mount Hobson Academy Connected, just just look it up. Wow. Um, Now tell me this, we're running out of of time. I think Mount Hobson Academy Connected, Google that, sounds wonderful. I'll be Googling that tonight. Tell me, what should a parent and grandparent do with their children heading off to a primary or high school? What should their number one and number two thing be to best assist their kids? So first of all, a lot of parents will ask exactly that question to me and and to others right now. And the first thing I say is if you're asking that question, chances are your kids are going to be okay because it's, what does Joe Biden say? (laughs) Not much, but um, (laughs) he he, he used that term front of mind once. Remember front of mind? Yes. Um, So if you're concerned about how your child's going to do at school, 
chances are you're going to think through and seek advice on on what to do to help. Yeah. And so that's cool. So what should you do to help? Uh, first of all, you should know what's going on in school and, and it, it, introduce yourself to the teachers uh, once a week at least. Go into the classroom, have a look around. Really? Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I would be at that level now. Um, and, and, and to say, how's things going? Um, you know, make yourself known. Say the, posi- say the positives. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people are in a situation, and, and, and teachers feel this, uh, that sometimes you only hear from parents. When, when there's an issue. Things go wrong, yeah. Yeah. And, and a parent saying the positives and then sharing their concerns will give that teacher the courage to take those concerns into the staff room. And 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 that, that's a part of kind of getting that ball rolling. So you have to say the positives. Read to your children every night. Uh, that, that, to me, is just so key. And if you're too busy, find granddad, find nana, uh, you find someone or or online so books. That, sit there with your children. Absolutely. And read a chapter. Yep. And, and good books. You know, I mean, my, classics. My, kids, my kids just about destroyed me once because they got me to read a book called The Day My Bum Went Psycho. I'm still, I'm st- I'm still reading that book in my head, you know. <laughs> I, I, um, like a good the, one for dad. Yeah. You know, and, 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 like for the little kids, speak thousands of words, but not only speak thousands of words, speak them positively. Mm. And, and um, you know, I really admire the writing of a guy called Matthew Side. He's a little bit like the British uh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, but he talks about rewarding effort mm. uh, because ultimately, it seems I was swimming today, if, some, if a kid, you know, eventually swims 60 seconds or, or less for 100 metres, they're really swimming, right? But but the effort that they've put in to get there is, is remarkable. Sheesh. So you you reward the effort on the way. Um, when so 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 I would say that, but I'll also say to parents, the concerns that you've expressed to me about the system are real. So if and when your kid's okay, don't stop advocating for the system, because and and I probably the best example. You know, my mum was quite a piece of work in many ways. But I went home one day because this kid called Ronald had given me a hiding and taken my lunch. And I went home and I said, Mum, you've got to get him. You know, uh, he should be in jail or something. Mm-hmm. I was about eight. So I wake up the following morning and there's two lunches on the bench. And I went, what are you doing? She goes, so this one's for Ronald. Ah, <laughs> what a lesson. Oh, it was great. And, but... You've got to think like that for our education system. If your kid's okay, still agitate for the other kids. That's still a good agi- note. Yeah. That's a very good note to end on, Alwyn. Um, I'm speaking, it's you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney. I'm speaking to Alwyn Paul, who's been a teacher, a principal. He and his wife set up the Mount Hobson Middle School. Yep. which was in my electorate, which is where I first met uh, Alwyn, and he said, come along to my school. I'd never been invited like that, and his school was a house. And I went in, and it was a beautiful school. And I met an old colleague of mine, when I say an ex-colleague of mine that I hadn't seen for years, and she'd gone on to have children, and one of her children had suffered at school terribly and done very poorly. 
And so she took him to Owen School, and he was ducks. And she said, Owen and his wife are amazing. And then Owen and his wife set up some partnership schools, did tremendously well, reached out to those traditionally most disadvantaged, showed that you could educate them, have them in a uniform paid for by the school, and do it so much cheaper than the schools that were failing them. And when you saw those kids and saw those schools, you wept for all the children that didn't get that opportunity. Shockingly, Labour hated those schools because they were the chink in the Berlin Wall of education because they were showing up the entire system. And so rather than being congratulated and copied, they were effectively demonized and life made difficult. And when the great ACT Party had thought, if we got a couple of great schools underway, working, the world would see what can be done. Is that a fair comment, Alwyn? Oh, I think it's very fair. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, not just us, Vanguard. Uh, Vanguard. Amazing job. Um, amazing job. And yeah. that if you were a good actor in public policy and politics and education, you would say, let's do this. Because this I'll is give good you, for I'll give you just kids. a really, really sharp example. So we had uh, Chris Hipkins come to South Auckland Middle School. Uh, That's school. Yes, as a minister, uh, sorry, as a spokesman for education, we went around the school, sat down in office and said, hey, Owen, this is a very good school. But what's it going to be like in five years? And I said, well, Chris, I've got a feeling that's ultimately going to be up to you. And, you know, he was there. Now, South Auckland Middle School is, is still functioning uh, under under Karen's leadership. Same with Middle School West Auckland. They've been able to convert to designated character schools, uh, but they lack some of the freedoms that they used to have. And, and uh, you know, again, they've had to fight to keep control of, of the way that they know best um, as opposed to being supported and um, South Auckland Middle School, for instance, has got a waiting list of about 100 every year. The ministry refuses to countenance allowing that role to grow. Um, so crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, Alwyn. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Reality Check Radio. That was Alwyn Paul. Crazy stuff. Uh, if you think that the ministry and the education system have our kids' best interests at heart, um, as a former associate minister of education and politician, I can assure you that's not the case. I know Alan would agree with me, and we're going to have to stand up for our kids and our society's education system because when you see a system that's working like that, wouldn't you just want to help those hundred and all the thousands behind them? But no. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.